0: everyone and welcome to the pen is mightier than the sword podcast. This is my doing project for OTR 504 and this entire podcast is going to be rooted in the adolescent development stage and this will serve as the introduction podcast episode where I kind of go into the background of my project, the common thread, Um, my favorite occupation, which is reading books. And I'll also discuss some of the meaningful books I read during my teenage years that really left a mark on me. Um, So first off, like I mentioned, my favorite or meaningful occupation is reading books. It's just something I've done ever since I was young and something I just see myself continuing um, even to my old age because I want to maintain that cognitive plasticity and it's just one of the leisure activities I love doing. There's so much that is valuable when it comes to reading books. I, For me, personally, I just learned so many lessons. Um, I can read the perspectives of other people through autobiographies or through fictional characters. I can be challenged to sympathize for certain characters. I can use my critical thinking to analyze symbolism or certain meanings from books and There's just so many wonderful and really poignant lessons that you can learn from reading books. So that's why it's just one of my favorite things to do in my pastimes and whenever I have free time. And there's definitely a lot of stories during my teenage years that really impacted me. And that is why I chose the theme of growth to be my common thread. So in this entire podcast, I'll be discussing books that really impacted my growth cognitively, psychologically, emotionally, or my growth even as an entire human being or as an individual? How did I grow as a person? And all the guests that I invite on this podcast will also be discussing how the books that they read during their adolescence has helped them grow as people. So first, I'd like to start off with the book series that has probably impacted me the most, not just during my adolescent stage, but it's definitely just influenced me as a human being. Um, It's definitely left like the biggest mark on me. And that would be the Percy Jackson in the Olympian series by Rick Riordan. And I believe I read this, I first read it during my preteen years. So probably when I was like 12 or 13. And that's also the audience of that book series who it's geared towards. It's a fantasy novel with fantastic world building well it's five books in the series but um all of them are fantastic books and i've reread them so many times they're all like tearing at the seams um but they hold a very special place in my heart but yeah to give a little background this book series is kind of rooted in greek mythology so in greek mythology the olympians all the greek gods they sometimes um mate with mortals and from that they have demigod children and based on those myths the author Rick Riordan modernized it so now he the book series takes place in in the modern world and we learn that our protagonist Percy Jackson the main character of the series he is also a demigod he is the son of a mortal woman and the Greek god of the sea Poseidon and basically throughout the series it's about him going on these quests, finding his identity as a demigod. He befriends other demigods, other children of other gods. Um, For example, his best friend and eventual love interest is the daughter of Athena. Um, There's a lot of action and humor, and it's packed with a lot of heart. There's so much unique about that series. Um, Like I said, it's very interesting the way it portrays the Greek myths, all the ancient Greek myths, and how it is interpreted into and how it is integrated into real life and this modern world and how the author modernizes these mythological creatures and monsters and godly beings into um, normal life. And along the way, Percy Jackson, he learned so much about friendships and growth and who to trust, things like that. But one of my favorite things about this Entire series is that it flips the hero's journey on its head. Because when we think about heroes, and especially Greek heroes, we have this image of them fighting and eventually reaching victory and then basking in all of this glory. But for Percy Jackson, this might be a bit of a spoiler, but towards the end of the series, he has to learn the power of yielding and how that can be just as powerful as taking initiative. So throughout this entire series, he's kind of been hyped up as this child of the prophecy. He's like the chosen one, right? It's the number one trope in like all YA fantasy novels. But then at the very end, he learns that he is in fact not the hero. And he has to give up this position of power to someone else in order to basically save the world. And I just think that's so interesting because it really debunks that entire archetype and that entire trope that... You know, heroes go on this journey and they face conflicts and then they eventually, you know, get what they want. At the end, they win. But for Percy Jackson, it's just such a clever and thought-provoking way to basically write this entire series and show that the value of the hero's journey is the decisions you make along the way, the character development that you have. Um, And I love Percy's character. One of the themes that they touch upon in this book series is the fatal flaw so for a lot of Greek heroes everyone has like a fatal flaw in Percy Jackson um, they actually mention Achilles and everyone assumes that his fatal flaw is his heel like the Achilles heel right but in reality Rick Riordan wrote that character characterization of Achilles to reveal that his fatal flaw was his wrath as we know in the original myth he just became so angry and prideful that that ultimately led to his death and that's one of the strengths of this entire series is that the characterization is just so brilliant and for a lot of the lessons and themes of friendships and romance that they go um, learn throughout the entire series it doesn't override the personal development of the protagonist as well and I just think that's such a strength of the series but yeah there's just so much I love about this series um, from the way it subverts so many tropes regarding like the hero's journey and I learned so many lessons about familial relationships and platonic relationships and romantic relationships from the series and because I read this entire series when I was um, in my preteen to teen years it definitely influenced uh, my adolescence the most during that time and it continues to have like a ripple effect it's still one of my favorite series and it's very nostalgic whenever I go back and read it um, I'm excited to uh, watch the live action adaptation that's going to come out on Disney plus soon and this podcast the name the pen is mightier than the sword is also um, quoted in the Percy Jackson series um, originally the the quote the pen is mightier than the sword was created by the English author Edward bulwer Lytton in the 1800s and um, it's supposed to mean that the written word is more persuasive and effective than physical violence um, or weapons like swords uh, when it comes to uh, spurring social political change but I first heard of that quote from the Percy Jackson series and it's just something that I love to continue to geek out about because it was just so influential to my development. The following passage is from The Titan's Curse, the third book in the Percy Jackson series by Rick Riordan. Percy is confronted by the goddess Athena, also the mother of his best friend Annabeth, as she warns him about his fatal flaw. I found myself face to face with a gray-eyed woman who looked so much like Annabeth, I almost called her that. Athena. I tried not to sound resentful after the way she'd written me off in the council, but I guess I didn't hide it very well. She smiled dryly. Do not judge me too harshly, Half-Blood. Wise counsel is not always popular, but I spoke the truth. You are dangerous. You never take risks, she nodded. I concede the point. You may perhaps be useful, and yet your fatal flaw may destroy us as well as yourself. My heart crept to my throat. A year ago, anne Beth and I had had a talk about fatal flaws. Every hero had one. Hers, she said, was pride. She believed she could do anything— like holding up the world, for instance, or saving Luke, but I didn't really know what mine was. Athena looked almost sorry for me. Kronos knows your flaw, even if you do not. He knows how to study his enemies. Think, Percy. How has he manipulated you? First, your mother was taken from you. Then your best friend Grover. Now my daughter Annabeth. She paused, disapproving. In each case. Your loved ones have been used to lure you into Cronus's traps. Your fatal flaw is personal loyalty, Percy. You do not know when it is time to cut your losses. To save a friend, you would sacrifice the world. In a hero of the prophecy, that is very, very dangerous. I balled my fists. That's not a flaw. Just because I want to help my friends. The most dangerous flaws are those which are good in moderation, she said. Evil is easy to fight. Lack of wisdom? That is very hard indeed. I wanted to argue, but I found I couldn't. Athena was pretty darn smart. Um, But yeah, moving on. Um, The next book that really, really uh, left a mark on me when I was a teenager was Looking for Alaska by John Green. And this book is fictional, but it's also part autobiographical because it does take um, some parts of John Green's life and puts into this book in writing and in this novel we follow the main character Miles also nicknamed Pudge when he is shipped to a boarding school and there he meets other fellow high schoolers he meets Chip or nicknamed the colonel so that is who becomes his best friend and then he also meets this girl named Alaska who he is immediately attracted to And we follow this group of protagonists through their high school years as they pull pranks, they form romantic relationships, and it's very much like a coming-of-age book. And this book was so impactful to me because this was probably the first book that I, other than the Percy Jackson series, that I really sat down and read the entire thing in one sitting because I was just so intrigued and I just found it so gripping However, it also faced a lot of controversy because this book contained um, themes like drugs and sex and discussions of mental illness and suicide, and I think it was um, blacklisted from a lot of school libraries or received a lot of criti- criticism because of that. But other than that, um, one of the biggest plot points in this is that their best friend, uh, Alaska Young, she passes away suddenly in a car accident, and. It deals with a lot of themes like processing grief and searching for meaning, like what is the point of living or of life in general. And again, the two protagonists, Miles uh, Pudge and the Colonel, they go on this journey and try to find answers as to why Alaska uh, died, whether it was an accident or a suicide. And I found the book incredibly introspective. Um, there were so many messages and lessons about how to move on from something so tragic and traumatic like this. And as a teenager, those themes are very dark, but yeah, I couldn't help but be very, I couldn't help but gravitate towards those kinds of themes and storytelling because I found it so mysterious and elusive and interesting. This is one of the first books that really honed in on philosophy and really made me think critically and really try to find the meaning of life and why why do people suffer? Why do bad things happen like this? And it was just super introspective and, and it continues to be one of the most insightful novels that I've ever read. The following is from Looking for Alaska by John Green. In this scene, the main character Miles and his best friend Chip, nicknamed the Colonel, are processing the grief of losing their friend Alaska after her sudden death. It was five in the morning, and I was reading a biography of the explorer Meriwether Lewis of and Clark fame and trying to stay awake when the door opened and the Colonel walked in. His pale hands shook, and the almanac he held looked like a puppet dancing without strings. Are you cold? I asked. He nodded, slipped off his sneakers, and climbed into my bed on the bottom bunk, pulling up the covers. His teeth chattered like Morse code. Jesus, are you all right? Better now. Warmer, he said. A small ghost white hand appeared from beneath the comforter. Hold my hand, will you? All right, but that's it. No kissing. The quilt shook with his laughter. Where have you been? I walked to Montevallo. Forty miles? Forty two, he corrected me. Well, forty two there, forty two back. 82 miles. No. 84. Yes. 84 miles in 45 hours. What the hell's in Montevallo? I asked. Not much. I just walked till I got too cold, and then I turned around. You didn't sleep? No. The dreams are terrible. In my dreams, she doesn't even look like herself anymore. I don't even remember what she looked like. I let go of his hand, grabbed last year's yearbook, and found her picture. In the black and white photograph, she's wearing her orange tank top and cut-off jeans that stretch halfway down her skinny thighs. Her mouth open wide in a frozen laugh as her left arm holds Takumi in a headlock. Her hair falls over her face just enough to obscure her cheeks. Right, the colonel said. Yeah. The colonel's hand was so little, and I grabbed it tight, his cold seeping into me and my warmth into him. And, but yeah, moving on from that, there are also several books that I read during my high school years um, assigned readings for my English class that really imprinted on me as well and I think as a high schooler when you're given these assigned readings they can be a bit tedious you can be like like what's the point of reading these but they're again there's so many valuable lessons that you can learn from literature and the books that really stood out to me um during my teenage years as an adolescent Adolescent was um, The Crucible by Arthur Miller, uh, The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, and Romeo and Juliet by Shakespeare. And I found that the common theme between all those was just tragedy, and um, I'm not sure why that those books were so impactful to me, but um, I remember reading all of those during my English classes, and they were definitely the ones that I were most drawn to. I was the most interested in reading and finishing and actively participating in discussions for class. And I think it's because it really showcased the kind of dark side of humanity. For example, The Crucible really discussed fear-mongering and groupthink and paranoia. Same with The Scarlet Letter. And Romeo and Juliet was focused more on personal autonomy and identity And as a teenager, uh, psychologically, we're facing, for us, our frontal lobes are still developing and we're more prone to things like risk-taking and making impulsive decisions and always trying to seek belonging. And all of the books that I read and mentioned really kind of grapple with those themes. And I think that's why I was so drawn to them, because... All the books that we previously read as, like, say, children, they were much more fantastical. All the lessons were, I wouldn't say shallow, but a bit more juvenile and easy to digest. But these high school readings are definitely more emotionally challenging. It really exposed the gritty side of humanity and uh, just how far people would go, just how dark things can get. And that was really a shell shock for me as a budding teenager and I think that's why these uh, books definitely left a mark on me and I think I also appreciated reading these because um, having these teachers share these books with us it almost felt like we as teenagers were being seen as mature enough to handle these themes it made me appreciative that we weren't being infantilized almost that we could handle these kinds of very challenging themes. Uh, for example, The Crucible, it definitely talked about things like uh, peer pressure, uh, violence, even misogyny, themes like that. Uh, for The Scarlet Letter, it discussed adultery. And uh, for Romeo and Juliet, there was a lot of discussions about uh, morality and loyalty. And are you willing to sacrifice uh, like your family and everything that you hold dear to you for love? And it definitely made me feel more grown in a sense being able to discuss all of these things in a classroom setting so that's why those uh, books definitely made a lasting mark on my development as a teenager and adolescent. Um, But yeah those are all of the books that really transformed who I was as a teenager and now as an adult um, to the point where now I can create an entire podcast about them because they're just so transformative and meaningful in their lessons and they also showcase why reading as an occupational as an occupation is just so valuable because you can learn so much from these books and educate yourself and it can also whisk you away to many different fictional lands and provide a form of escapism Or on the contrary, it can bring an element of realism and make you analyze things about yourself, things like that. Um, But that pretty much concludes this intro episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to inviting other guests, having meaningful dialogues with them and learning about their tastes in books. And I can't wait to hear which ones influence their chapter of their lives. Thanks for listening. Thank you.